Well, before we begin our Torah study today, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. And we can say together, Amen. Well, this week's Torah passage is, uh, is very interesting. It speaks about the building of the tabernacle and the sanctuary. It talks about Shabbat. And it also gives an explanation for why we should build this sanctuary. God says, I want to dwell in your midst. In fact, the, the scripture Build for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among you. This was the proceeding word the Lord gave Sandy to help us move forward to actually um, get this space and build out this synagogue and, and develop even this wonderful sanctuary that in its earlier days was a um, group of small offices with eight-foot ceilings, and it was uh, nothing like this. So this word inspired Sandy and, and gave her vision and is the reason why we're here. This, um, this idea of building a house for God is a very important idea because God knows that we need places where we can come to be with him. He can be anywhere, right? But we need to be able to assemble together with people who have a heart to worship the Lord, who want to honor the Lord, and to have a place that's dedicated for that purpose, it's really a great privilege. It's something not only that we need, but it's something we value. So to have a beautiful sanctuary that even opens onto this wonderful lake, isn't that beautiful? It gives you, it gives you a sense of tranquility. Isn't it a peaceful lake? Uh, I, I like looking at it. Sometimes I'm distracted, and I'd rather look at it than, yeah, yeah. Because it, 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 it's peaceful. It, it calms me. And on Friday nights, it's special, too, because when the sun is setting and the light is reflecting off, it glistens into the room, and then you'll notice the gold tones, the floor, the chairs begin to glow. And it reminds me of Jerusalem of gold, that Jerusalem at a certain time of day as the sun is setting, it just, it shines. It radiates with beauty. And so this is a Jerusalem of gold sanctuary, if you will. And the colors are important, the light is important. And, and you might be thinking, yeah, yeah, um, but the Torah portion teaches us something. God's interested in such matters. He's interested in good design. He's interested in color. He's interested in light. He's interested in materials. And so thank you, Sandy, for having that same interest as the Lord does. Thank you for being committed to excellence and wanting a sanctuary, really, that, that honors the Lord and reflects the peace that God has for us. Thank you so much for what you've done. The Lord says, build a sanctuary so that I may dwell with you. 
And it's, it's our task to build it, but the reason for it is God wants to be here with us. He wants to dwell in our midst. And if you think about the first sanctuary, it was in the center of the camp of the Israelites. And that was to help us understand that God should be at the center of our life. He should be at the center of everything. And that we should always be focused towards him and towards his direction. The motivation that God gives is very clear. He wants to dwell with us, and it's worthwhile for us to think about that. He wants to be with us. He wants us to spend time with him to get to know him better. He wants to experience the joy of having his kids, if you will, at his house with him. He's a wonderful God, but it raises a question that's a serious question. Is God knowable? Can we know him? Or is he beyond comprehension? Now, the Torah is unequivocal in its answers to this, though many people go in a very different direction, both for the source of their answers and for how they read the scriptures or read away to dismiss what's in the scriptures. But we could ask this question, is God just an abstraction? Is he like the prime mover, the first mover who created everything, but he's an abstract force outside of the universe? Is he just transcendent, but impersonal? Well, the Torah is very clear. He is transcendent. He is outside of the universe. However, he comes into the time and space universe that he's created, and he wants to be with us. So he's personal. The scripture teaches us that he knows our names. That's pretty personal, wouldn't you say? So he's not the God of the philosophers, according to Moses who's just an abstraction or an idea or a force or an impersonal reality. And he's not the God of the, the great Greek thinkers who thought he represented an ideal, but he was impersonal. Nor is he the incomprehensible God that, um, that many religions teach about. Islam is one that teaches that he's, he's beyond knowing. But as well, many in, in uh, rabbinic Judaism, because of the influence of Islam on Maimonides in his thinking, Maimonides being uh, one of the greatest Jewish philosophers in terms of impact and effect on, on Judaism, but Maimonides' thinking was both shaped by Greek philosophy and by Islamic philosophy about God. And Maimonides moves so often in the direction of God being incomprehensible and God being impersonal and unknowable. But the scripture teaches otherwise. And this is one of the great um, misdirections that comes from Maimonides and others who follow in his path which is why in his earliest days he was considered to be uh, a heretic and 
not an honest Jew among the Jewish people, but now he's the most influential. Why? Why is he so influential? Because so many people have stepped back from a personal relationship with God. And they have embraced this idea that God, yes, he's real, there is a spirit, if you will. Or you could use this term, a higher power. Or you could be a Star Wars person. The force is with you, and so forth. But there are many who believe in this way, and then they allow that to shape the religion, whether it's Judaism or whether it's Christianity or Baha'i or something else. It shapes and defines their religious view. Now, as we're reading in the Torah this week, we're reading about details about the sanctuary and important details and interesting details. And I want to get to some of them in order to introduce you to, to the God who you may not know all that well, but you think you do. Now, why do I say that? Because I have found that religious people often know God one day a week. And they know what he's like on that day. Have you ever known people who dress up really nicely to, to go to a religious event, but the rest of the week, they're slobs? <laughs> and you think you know them because of how they dress up, but you don't really know them. People can put on facades, but I'm not really wanting to go in that direction. I want to tell you this that if the only way you know God is the God of Shabbat, then you only know him in one-seventh of the days. It's important to know him this way. But I love the God who created Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all those days. And I want you to learn more today about the God of Monday. Now, religious folk, and I include myself among, among that, how do I know I'm religious? Because my family tells me I am. It's not whether you think you're religious or not. That's not the term I would normally use to describe myself, but I'm a rabbi, for goodness sake. Yeah. So, and Yaakov, James, he wasn't... He, he didn't feel awkward about this. He talked about what is true religion versus not true religion. And so rather than say we're not religious, let's just admit it. Now, <laughs> you know how Jews are. We like to say we're observant or non-observant. <laughs> and other people say religious versus not religious. So many of us know God only according to the spiritual experiences that we have on Shabbat. We know him during our worship sessions and during times here in the sanctuary and at synagogue stuff. And, and we know him that he's, he's our creator, he's our redeemer. Aren't you glad that you know he's your redeemer? 
Aren't you glad that you've been delivered from this futile way of thinking that, that there's an angry God out there who's just waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you? Aren't you glad that, that you're not trying to win favor with God by just being a little bit better today? Maybe if you just are better today, he'll love you. Aren't you glad you're delivered from that futile way of thinking? about the Lord, and that you know, and it's understandable, that, that you sin, yes, but there is a sacrifice for your sins. And it's not the sacrifice that you brought, it's the sacrifice the Lord provided for you. Isn't it great to know that, that the Lord himself paid a price that you couldn't pay, and took the penalty that justice requires, but he took it on himself, so that you wouldn't have to bear it. And he, he, he allows you to come, not just into his kingdom, but into his mishpocha, into his family. He calls you beloved children, sons and daughters. He pours out the Holy Spirit on you, who is not so religious as the sacred name people think. Because according to the scriptures, the name that he wants to be named by is Abba. The Holy Spirit is not caught up in how to pronounce yod heh vav in English. <laughs> how about this, Abba? And you may say, well, I wanna know these other names. Good for you. But I can tell you this, my father had some other names, but I did much better with him when I called him dad than when I said, hey, Bert. <laughs> if you want a story about that, talk to Gary. One moment when uh, he called his father by his first name and he shouldn't have. He can tell you a story or two about that. I'm just saying, you wanna talk to your spiritual father Talk to him as Abba, you'll get somewhere. And if you want to get like some esoteric name so you're better than everybody else, then you'll be the last in line because you're trying to be first. And you know how fathers are. Oh, you're, you want to be first? Go to the end of the line. In this week's Torah portion, we discover some things about what God is interested in that you may not have been paying attention to because you were only being religious in the way you were reading the scriptures. Or you were focusing on the main theme about Shabbat and the house of the Lord, which is really important, but I wanna move away from that theme to something else. What, what do we find about the interests of the Lord? What is he paying attention to because if you want to develop a relationship with someone, you need to get to know them better, to find out what they're interested in, what they like and what they don't like. If you ever wanna feed my wife, don't serve her egg salad. It's simple. There's no way you can make it that she's gonna like it. Or potato salad. Yeah. Or, or yellow mustard. I know this. 
when we first got married, I thought I knew her really, really well, but I didn't even know uh, how to buy her presents. Yeah, I mean, I bought her a dishwasher once as a, like a birthday present. <laughs> yeah, you know now. I was like, I don't know, 22, 23, something like that. I didn't know that was a stupid idea. We needed a dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, well guys, get the dishwasher, but don't give it as a birthday present. I didn't know that Sandy uh, didn't really value surprises. So the fact that I would surprise her with a gift did not contribute to the, the appreciation of the gift. If it was something good that she liked, it was good. And if she didn't like it, even though it was a surprise, it didn't change anything. Now some of you can relate to this because someone just recently gave you a present that, who didn't have a clue what you like. And that's why many people are re-gifting in these days. Right? <laughs> Let's tell the truth. Right, you get that, it's like, oh wow. Um, yeah, I don't even want it. Um, and so you give it to someone else who you think will want it, and they get it, it's like, wow. And then they give it. And the worst thing is it comes all the way around, either back to you, or worse, back to the person who gave it to you, and they know. <laughs> Just sell it for money, right? I know some people, they, they have a place in their garage for such presents, and that's where they store everything until that person is coming to visit. And then they bring it out and they put it out. You know. If you really want to bless someone, get to know them and find out what is a blessing to them. That's important. It takes time. So to, to do that, you need to spend time together Thus, with the Lord, spend time with him. Get to know what he values and appreciates. What is a person interested in? What do they want to learn about? What are they thinking about? What are they valuing? What do they fill their minds with? What are they dreaming about or daydreaming about? Uh, what questions are they thinking about? What do they like to do? What do they do in their free time? What do they appreciate? When you know the answers to that, then you know someone much better than when you don't have a clue. Well, if you open up to Exodus chapter 35, this week's Torah portion, Vayachel, I wanna point out some things that God appreciates, he's interested in, he's thinking about, he values, that you may not have noticed. And when I bring them up to you, you may, you may think because they're not ethical or moral or spiritual or issues about God's sovereignty, you may think they're unimportant, but I want to tell you they're really important because they reflect the interests of God. Let me ask you a question. How many actually think that God, by his Holy Spirit, inspired the writing of the scriptures? Okay, now apply that thought to what we're about to read. The Holy Spirit wanted certain details in the scriptures so you'd know what God is interested in. 
Yeah, you can use this on Monday. I'm gonna just go through fast. You probably wanna listen to the podcast if you wanna review this. But verse six, Exodus 35, verse six. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, and fine leather. God is interested in color. He's interested in materials. He's interested in, in fabric. <laughs> you want to see guys go brain dead? Take them to a fabric store. <laughs> but if you tune out in such a place, you're not paying attention to something God is interested in. Let's go down. Verse 10, verse 11 rather. The fasteners, the planks, the crossbars, the posts, the sockets. Now this could get guys' attention. Oh yeah, now we're talking about some engineering here, fabrication and carpentry skills and metalworking. How many guys are interested in that? Yeah, and the women, how many stay out of this area when your husbands are with sharp tools? Let's go to verse 20, or 21. It, it says that the people came, everyone whose heart stirred them and everyone whose spirit made them willing. So now we know something about what gets God's attention is the condition of the heart and the attitude. He's not just interested in things. Men are notoriously interested in things, women, are more inclined to be interested in people, but God's interested in things and people. God's interested in the heart, the condition of the heart. And interestingly, there was no material and there was no thing of value that God wanted to receive if it didn't have the secret ingredient of having come from a donor whose hearts were uh, of a special kind, that were turned to the Lord and wanted to express love to God. And then look at this in uh, verse 22. Okay, now I, I missed a detail on this earlier. It says, both men and women came and they brought nose rings, earrings, signet rings, belts, all kinds of jewelry. Men and women brought their jewelry so that the gold could be uh, used for the sanctuary. Then verse uh, 23, everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, tanned ramskins, fine leather, they brought them. Now I think that's really interesting because it shows that God is interested in color and material. And the skillfulness that's necessary in order to produce these kinds of things. It goes on, you can, you can see verse 25, the women who were skilled at spinning got to work. They brought what they'd spun. The women whose hearts, verse 26, whose hearts stirred them to use their skill, spun the goat's hair. And, and it goes on. And, and then down in um, verse 30, we read about Bezalel, the son of Uri. Verse 31 says, he's filled with the spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge concerning every kind of artisanry. Now some, some people are just not creative types and they think that's not really all that spiritual to be artistic and to be creative. And yet the scripture says it was the spirit of God with wisdom 
with knowledge, with understanding that enabled him to do every kind of artistry. Isn't that interesting? You learn something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is cool. The Holy Spirit has good taste. He's not interested in kitsch. He wants fine stuff. Yeah, so if you want to bring your velvet paintings to the house of the Lord, take them to Elvis's house. Verse 32, he's a master of design in gold, silver, bronze, cutting precious stones, wood carving, every other craft. I find that very interesting. The Lord pays attention to excellence in the creative arts and design. We learn something about the Lord this way. He is ethical, he is moral, he is spiritual, but he's also creative and artistic. Think of this. What's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen? Your wife. You win the big one today. And you were fast. That was good. No one else even got a chance. The rest of us are just in awe. It's like, wow, you pulled that off. Yeah. I said, what's the most beautiful thing you've seen? And uh, Derek said, my wife. (laughs) Just like that. I don't think there was half a breath in between. That was an awesome answer. But here's another answer. How, How many appreciate beautiful sunsets? And think of the colors of those sunsets, right? So now you know something, those are not accidental. That's because God's interested in color. I had to learn to be interested in color. Uh, I wasn't, but I married a woman who is. And so to be interested in her, I needed to be interested in color. Now I find out the Lord's interested in color. So if I really wanna be close to the Lord, I need to pay attention to color too, because he does. What about a sunrise? Isn't it glorious when the light first appears? Oh, it's awesome. The Lord's also interested in people who are concerned for others and want to help better them. That's why in verse uh, 34, it speaks not only of Bezalel, but Ohaliav, and it says that they have the ability to teach other people. The Lord pays attention to that. They have the ability, not just to do the work excellently themselves, but to help others learn how to work with excellence and beauty. God loves beauty. And this is why in Philippians it says, think about what's beautiful. Think about what's excellent. Think about what's pure. Not just what is religious. It goes on. Well, there's much here, including uh, woodwork and fine woodworking and joinery and even perfume making is mentioned, and expert perfume making. But now I want to go to something that's outside of this week's readings, but I find very interesting. 
Did you know that God is a foodie? You may not have thought about this, but Isaiah 25, verse six. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast, a banquet of delicious, rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats, and the finest wines. The best meats, not choice, not even prime, better than prime. Do you think it's gonna be dry aged? I don't know. But I have the feeling when we're eating at that table, we're gonna taste some meat and say, I had no idea. For the vegans, it'll be most challenging. And, and for everyone whose who's theory is that we're just going to return to the uh, Edenic way of life, um, surprise, the Lord's going to use wine and choice meat. Who knew? He did. The finest meat, the best meat. I say that the Lord is, uh, is a foodie because he cooked breakfast for Peter and for the others after his resurrection. And he, he takes fresh fish, cleans it, cooks it, grills it on a fire, and then serves it up for breakfast. And then he talks to Peter and he says, you feed my sheep in order to stir him up. Yeshua said about himself, you really don't understand my view of authority. You th you're thinking of how the, the Gentile nations conceive of authority, but I came as one who waits on tables. I came like a waiter, a good waiter, someone who knows how to serve other people and to be hospitable to them. Oh, if you want to be messianic in just a super spiritual way, you don't have to think about any of this stuff, but then you will only know God in a limited way. You want to know God more, join the Shalom Center hospitality teams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And I know some of you, you've got this built-in reaction to such things. And whenever I say something like this, your reactor immediately responds with a no, never, you know, that's stupid. I don't know why this rabbi keeps saying these things. And this is how you shield yourself from what the scriptures say. And you say, well, that's not my gift. So what? Develop it anyway. Y'all get too quiet and serious when I talk like this. Oh, think about this. What was the first public miracle that Yeshua did? Water into wine. That's right. And it was good wine. No, it was really good wine. It was not Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> it was not this cheap box stuff. No, it was really good wine, and the people who were drinking it recognized 
it was excellent wine. And they said, you know, nobody does it this way. Because by the time you've been at the party long enough and you've had enough wine, you normally can't tell the difference between the good and the cheap. But this is really good. Glad we stayed for the whole party. And if you pay attention to Yeshua, not only did he make fine wine, but he paid attention to uh, like vineyards. He would talk about how important it is to prune correctly the grapevines and how important it is to harvest them. So he was like a master gardener. If you know a master gardener, not only do they love the gardening, but they understand the reasons for it and they have the ability to do it and to teach others. Yeshua is constantly engaged with, with matters of uh, like the vineyard. He pays attention to that and agriculture and gardening and even flowers. If you go back to the Torah portion, you'll see like almond flowers show up. And if you were to, to walk around and just do a survey, what is God's favorite flower? A lot of people just laugh at you. But you could really surprise people if you said, I'm not sure it's his favorite, but I know he likes it a lot. The flower on an almond tree. How do you know? Well, because he said, make sure some of those are in my sanctuary. I like them. <clears throat> The Lord is actually a sculptor. The scripture says that he took clay and he sculpted it with his hands to make man. And then he breathed into it and made it a living soul. Very interesting idea. And the Lord is a communicator. He wants to communicate. He speaks and he listens. He wants us to be like him. That's why he says, Shema Yisrael, Israel, listen. Why? Because God is the one who hears us when we cry to him, right? He hears us. Last thing, God is interested in literature. Literature. He's literary. Now, you told me that you believe that the, the Lord inspired all of the scriptures, so do you believe he inspired the poetry in the scriptures? How about the prophecy in the scriptures? How about the parables in the scriptures? How about the, um, the proverbs in the scriptures? How about the narrative, the stories in the scriptures? Yes, God is interested in all those forms. He's interested in the language. He's interested in words. And if you want to know God, learn to read and read well and read different kinds of literature and pay attention to how God uses his inspiring power to cause poets and, and nonfiction writers and others in the scriptures to write the inspired word of God for us. If you love, the, if you love God, Pay attention to his interest in literature. Learn to read, learn to write well, communicate, 
using the word. Now I want to close with an idea connected to this. How many of you share an interest that I have? You, you love different Bible translations, and you value the way that people uh, approach translating the scriptures. Well, one of the translations I really like is, is called Rotherham's Emphasized Bible. I think it's from 1872, something like that. And it's interesting because the purpose of the translation was not to, to render good English, but to render good Hebrew and Greek into English. And so the purpose of the translator is to capture the, the beauty of the original languages and convey those in English words. And the way Rotherham renders the Hebrew in Genesis about the creation of light is so typical and so beautiful because in most English translations, you know, it says this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And we've all gotten accustomed to that, you know, that there's a God out there who speaks like that, let there be. But that's not what the Hebrew says, and Rotherham captures it so beautifully. He captures the Hebrew, which says, uh, and God said, yahi or vayahi or. And here's his translation. And God said, light be, and light was. It's a beautiful translation. And it wakes you up to what the Hebrew actually says. And when you appreciate God and all of his interests, and you know he's, he's actually very interesting. Sometimes he just speaks the name of the thing and it comes into existence. You discover things about God this way that you wouldn't if you didn't pay attention. So I wanna encourage you, <clears throat> think about God on Monday. Think about his attitudes, his perspective, his interests, and then invite him into your Monday world and see what he's got something to say about. You may have thought you served the Lord of Shabbat and you gave him one day a week. Well, I want to tell you this. He's the Lord of the whole week, of every day and everything. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we want to know you better. We love being able to come into your house, but we want to invite you into our house too. And we know that you're the God of heaven and earth, but you are also the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us and walks with us. And you, by your Holy Spirit, fill us and you take up residence inside of us because you want to go where we're going and you want to lead us, even in daily life. And I pray that we could have new fellowship with you where we can learn to be with you and see what you're interested in, see what you value, and learn to appreciate you in deeper and deeper ways. I pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, then we're going to go next door. I'm glad you all got your toddlers. They belong to you. And thank you, Sandy, for <clears throat> sharing that word today. As we're wrapping up worship, it was powerful. Thank you. May the Lord bless you, 
May the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Join us next door for a wonderful time of fellowship and refreshments.